the Anesthesia Podcast. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this Anesthesia Journal live stream. Today, we'll be discussing this new paper which describes and validates a new anesthetic complexity score. The paper is of interest because of the methods used and also the potential implications for increasing efficiency and productivity in theatre. Joining us today, we have Dr. Elliot Rigian, Dr. Katie Wilson, and Dr. Ahmed El Free. Uh, so if you'd like to turn your uh, cameras on, guys, and, um, and introduce yourselves, that'd be great. Uh, I think you need to allow us, Mike. <laughs> We're not allowed. I will allow you to um, turn your cameras on somehow. There we go. Hi, everyone. Uh, so we'll start with uh, Elliot, who's the lead off of the paper. Hi, uh, good morning, everybody. Um, so yeah, I'm Elliot. Uh, I'm currently a uh, registrar in anaesthesia at um, Oxford uh, University Hospitals, and I'm also um, a fellow in perioperative medicine over at um, UCL. And Katie? Hi, hi everyone. Good morning. Um, my name's Katie. I'm also a registrar in Oxford University Hospitals at the moment. Um, currently on maternity leave, actually. Morning, Katie. And Ahmed as well. Hi, good morning. I'm Ahmed, a consultant anaesthetist at Oxford University Hospitals. Morning, Ahmed as well. So we'll start with a question about the paper itself. Um, and it's about how um, the study was done. And what actually triggered you to actually do this study and what was the reason um, why you thought the topic was important? And following on from that, what are the main messages that actually come out of it? Uh, so I can take this question. And I suppose um, a little bit of background um, as to why we started looking into anaesthetic complexity. Um, we all know that nationwide there's this huge surgical backlog that started pre-pandemic um, and has got worse throughout the COVID-19 pandemic um, and it's going to be a huge um, challenge to tackle this and then on top of that we have this again nationwide shortfall of anaesthetists and so trusts are coming up with new novel ways that we can utilize our workforces better um, and at the time that we started this project, um, one of the things our trust had was thinking about was whether we could employ anaesthesia associates um, and whether there'd be somewhere um, where within the trust where they'd be able to practice safely and efficiently to help our anaesthetic um, team. Um, so the question was asked whether we had a caseload that was sufficiently complex or non-complex enough for these anesthesia associates. Um, and the challenge was then to uh, define complexity within anesthesia. Um, and then look at the various different areas within our trust. We have a tertiary referral center, an orthopedic center, we've got a DGH all within the same trust and look to see if there's any areas where the, the cases met the criteria for complexity. Um, and so, of course, we could have used something like ASA as a well-established score, um, but we didn't for several reasons. Um, and I think 
complexity analyses is more complex than that. So for example, you could have you know, an ASA, one neonate, who needs an emergency laparotomy, they need lines, they've got perhaps difficult IV access, they've got a difficult airway, or you've got an ASA, one 95 year old who's come in and um, they've had a major trauma with intra-abdominal hemorrhage. Again, these patients ASA1. Or you've got an ASA2 patient who comes in, they've got a AAA that's ruptured and they need an emergency EVAR in a radiology suite um, with sedation and perhaps a spinal anesthetic. So we felt that ASA was not appropriate, not the only appropriate score for defining complexity um, to be able to say this level grade of anaesthetist would match this case. Um, so what the study did is initially we did a, um, a survey of experts in the field or otherwise known as consultants anaesthetists and we <laughs> surveyed uh, both tertiary anaesthetists and DGH anaesthetists to get more of a kind of a broad range of opinions as to what should be included on the score and um, what the kind of level of complexity that should be. So um, what is um, predicted difficult airway? Is that going to increase complexity and how much is that going to increase complexity by? And then the team, um, along with the rest of the team here, um, they validated the score. And they produced um, a calculator that anybody can use. And I'm sure we'll highlight that at the end of the presentation. Um, and this is basically 30 seconds of clicking buttons once you've done any kind of standard pre-op um, pre assessment of your patient. It only takes 30 seconds and some clicks of buttons and you get a score from 15 to 50. Um, and the value of this score is that actually, if you, for example, get a score of 15, that's your baseline, that's the smallest score that you can get, any deviation from that score of 15 correlates to a case that is probably too complex for a CT1, CT2 anaesthetist. So it's a very clinical, applicable score for your trust. Um, and the, re the main reason we think this is important is not for that individual case on day, um, because we all know that actually anaesthetists are in the best position to say, I think this trainee or this fellow or this non-physician anaesthetist is the best person to anaesthetise this patient right now. We can all do that and we are all best at doing that on day-to-day -day management. But actually this score is um, better at being incorporated into some kind of pre-op assessment so that we can allocate our resources uh, particularly our workforce better um, and perhaps make something like a, a consultant list or a non-consultant list and allocate those lists better. Um, we in our trust we had um, a trainee survey at the beginning of the project and the trainees actually said we want more solo lists can we do more with distance supervision and we've got a much higher rate of consultant-led uh, cases than other places um, so it works from that level as well. Yeah, it's fascinating. And we, we've just had a, a big um, com electronic health record um, um, installed in our trust. And, and I would imagine that something like you, as you describe, if you click some preoperative assessment, it'd be very easy for um, a programme like that to calculate that score for all of you. And it'd be useful for all sorts of reasons, I can imagine. Um, so about the score itself, what are the main components of it? Um, and um, how did you actually select those components? And I was also interested to see when I was looking in the methods of the paper, 
I don't think I've seen any other um, scores that have used the methods that you've used particularly, which was which was quite interesting to me. It looks as though some of the methods that you use might be described as novel. Uh, um, would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, so to start with the, the components of the score, we divide it into patient factors and technical factors. Um, patient factors include um, things that we know to influence risk that are that are fairly obviously related to the patient. So age, which is um, banded, BMI, which is also banded, um, ASA score. Um, so that's kind of included within within the um, oxaloacetic complexity scoring system. And then some other things that that are not usually included in in scoring, such as difficult IV access, difficult airway, and communication difficulties with the patient um, or their family, which includes learning difficulties, dementia, delirium, these sorts of features. Um, and then on the technical side, you've got the nature of the anaesthetic you're giving. So if that's a kind of single component thing, like just a GA on its own, or just a neuraxial on its own, or whether you're combining elements, you're doing a GA and neuraxial, you're doing an additional regional component that increases your complexity. Um, we've included the surgical uh, elements. So using the NICE uh, grading system, minor, intermediate and major. Um, expected blood loss, which was split around the 500 mil mark, because that's something that um, is normally discussed um, kind of surgically in terms of changing the nature of the procedure. And then we've talked a bit about some kind of systems and environment factors as well. So that's um, in theatre or out of theatre. So as Katie alluded to, you know, the kind of vagaries of the radiology suite or wherever else you might be, um, whether it's emergency or elective, of course, and whether the patient might need um, post-op critical care. And we came to all of that um through um you know a process that's much maligned but i think in this setting is valuable which is expert consensus essentially we got together as a group and decided that these are the things that we thought were relevant um we included things that we knew to influence um risk as well and then actually what we did was um open the door to suggestions really so the the um process initially of defining the elements included this survey that katie uh, spoke about that we we sent out to consultants around our area and ask them, first of all, for each of these elements we've given you, how much do you think that influences complexity? So as an example, you know, ASA one obviously didn't increase in complexity for anybody. So that gets a low score, but then um, somebody who is, um, you know, has a, has a known predicted difficult airway got a reliably high score. So then that's weighted accordingly in the total system. We also offered them a free text box. So we said, all right, anything that you like, that you think increases complexity for your cases, please jot that down. Um, and then we took a measure of the number of times that a specific element appeared and included that. And the thing that we added actually was um, the communication difficulties one. So that wasn't in the original um, survey, but that was highlighted on multiple occasions by the people we surveyed as a real feature that impacted complexity. So that's how it all came together. Um, and that method is, is different from those that are normally used um I'll, I'll certainly say that um it's not entirely novel in total um it it has been used in part by other there's a group that um looked at uh, asthma um survey techniques um that we we cite in the paper who, who've done something similar um the kind of packaged design approach that we took probably is novel um and i think the, the thing that people often ask about this when i've been discussing it with with colleagues um is about linear regression uh, and actually that 
is that not how you design a scoring system? You know, you take your outcome and then you work back to find the features that influence it. And that's good, that's fine, that's proper. If you're looking at something that has this kind of very hard binary outcome, does the patient die? Does the patient have an MI, for example? Um, because, you know, what you want to know is, is what influences my hard output? And it's not a, a kind of clinician-based problem, it's just a factual problem, whereas, because complexity itself has not really ever been particularly defined before this point, we didn't have that reference marker to work from. So we felt that something that had more of an end user focus, the kind of thing that you see in design in other sectors, you know, you see this in technology a lot, kind of beta testing and that kind of an idea that actually um, getting people involved in building the score who were the expert users and, and, and designers of the score themselves, clinicians would make a difference to its um, usability overall. Yeah, and, and that's fascinating that you've given this um, thing which we're all familiar with as an Eastus complexity, you've given it some, um, you know, some real substance and, and broken it down into its um, into possible um, components and, and variables and, and then overall, a, you know, a number at the end of it, which is fascinating. Mm. Um, and um, to to get to where you've got is, is a very um, complicated and um, uh, and lengthy process. So um, I think that's one of the good things about the paper to come out of that. Um, and it probably does provide a, you know, a more nuanced way to assess risk. Um, but doesn't the score incorporate, you know, because it's incorporating things like ASA, etc. Um, how, how does it compare with a a score like that which is in itself incorporated into the complexity scores yeah so i think the first thing to to say is that actually this is not a risk score um so risk as a concept as we know is uh, an outcome linked thing so it's it's does does the patient have a bad event you know a mi death whatever it might be um that's risk <laughs> Complexity is slightly more narrative than that. It's more of a descriptive um, thing that, that looks at the features of a case. Um, and it doesn't tell you anything about what will happen to the patient. So that's really important. Um, and that's how it's designed, but it's also how it's tested. We don't have data to, to say that this, is, this has any influence or, or is linked to outcome. That might well be a future piece of work, um, but currently that's not something that we, we are able to say. Um, it certainly is more nuanced than existing tools insofar as we've in included these things that it often missed in, in other scoring systems, as I mentioned, you know, IV access, communication, that sort of a thing. Um, so it has additional utility there. In terms of incorporating risk, um, we felt that was important because, as I mentioned, in terms of the end user design based approach where you want to know what matters to the clinician what matters to their view of how complexity works you know our feeling as a group of clinicians and i think this was shared when we did the survey was that things that influence risk do tend to influence complexity age bmi asa as we discovered so you know we felt we needed to keep a lid on it you can't include absolutely every element of risk in into a score um, and you probably can't include every element of complexity. There's probably things that may, as this thing develops, may be added in um, or even removed. But, um, you know, this is what we've come to so far. Um, and we we think that it works. And what could the score be used for right now, today, for example, if we were to um, go and start using this in, in clinical practice? 
So I think there are several things that we can apply the score for at the moment. First thing and the easiest thing and the quickest thing is to use it as a communication tool between trainees and consultants, for example. So if a trainee calls a consultant about a case, it's much descriptive and easier to say, I have a case of an example score of 30 coming to the theatre. And if we take it from that point, we can actually put a cutoff line, what the trainees can do on their own and what they cannot uh, out of hours, just like the people some score. So the consultants need to come in if we have a laparotomy of people some 5% or more. So we can use similar, uh, uh, we can use our score, the example score in a similar way. The other thing, which is the original uh, purpose of building that score is to allocating consultants, trainees uh, to individual patients and lists and that will increase the efficiency in theatre running. Uh, um, the main issue uh, in that is that that will need time, so it will not a today thing to be done. Uh, yeah, it needs, because that will change the way we are booking lists and that will clash with several a uh, surgical skill mix and how we actually book cases at the moment, but that will need some time. We can also involve it in the training. Uh, so instead of saying the trainees need to do this number of ASA one, two, and three cases, you can convert that into a complexity rather than just describing the ASA score of the patient. So at that level, they need to be able to do that complexity level on their own. So I think this is what we can do at the moment using that score. Yeah, I mean, that's um, very useful and that just goes to show how useful this um this this paper is um it's a very clinical paper and it's very useful to all clinically practicing anesthetists and it wouldn't surprise me if um we start seeing um scores like this um uh, used by departments to try and as i say allocate their resources but also as you mentioned communicate between colleagues as well which is really useful um what can you see as being the potential um implications for the future and how do we get from where we are now to um, uh, some of those uh, potential uses? So we need to find a way to incorporate this score into the pre-assessment because that will start creating streamlines of patients uh, and lists. Uh, as you said, electronic hospital management systems are now making this easy. Mm. Um, we need to start validating the score again. Again, it's different that sets in other places. So we can invite people internationally and other hospitals to start testing our score and see how it works with them. Um, again, we can involve in the training. We can have a chat with colleges and put the complexity as part of the curriculum. And we want to think about applying it in subspecialties. So if we start making a version for cardiac and version for peds, because in the general scheme of things, the score works for everyone. But if you are talking about a cardiac case, it might not be very complex as it shows on our score because it's just talking about this subspecialty. It's not that complex for them. And for peace, it's the same. Low BMI for peace doesn't mean anything, but it does mean something for other specialties as well. Uh, so I think this is what we might be doing next. And, and we can use it for auditing complexity as well. So we have audited what we are doing today. We can audit it again next day and see how where our complexity goes and what sort of patients we keep getting every year. And what would you say are the main strengths and limitations uh, of the score as it is today? So I think the main strength is that it is designed by clinicians. So it's, it represents what we think uh, and what we see every day. 
Uh, I think the main limitation that it's not 100% objective, it's subjectively objective because it represents the opinions of the clinicians. But as Elliot mentioned, we don't have a binary outcome, it's not right or wrong. Uh, we don't have a benchmark for complexity to measure that again. It was the novel way that we started to uh, validate our score, which I think is very valid, but it's not 100% uh, objective. Uh, yeah, but it's still very uh, strong, as I believe. Um, the, main, the main limitation is how to apply it in the way we think it should be applied. So if we are going to use it to, to streamline cases, through different lists to allocate different levels of a, an ACEs, then we have to change the way hospitals work in theater. We have to change the way the patients are booked. We have to change the way lists are allocated to surgeons and anesthetists uh, to make the most efficient setup for that. Uh, that might be the tricky part, but I think if we do manage to get it done, that will make huge difference in efficiency. Yeah, and in terms of being able to plan resources and, and drive down waiting lists, which is why I think this paper is important particularly. Um, does this paper help us to do that? Or is it likely that, for example, the grade of an system complexity are, are already well matched and it's something that we're already doing even, even without the score? Um, yeah, I think, I think, as I said earlier, um, the, the anaesthetists are still the best people to be able to actually match a patient a case with a, a grade of anaesthetist because there's much more than what's in um, a simple scoring system at stake there's intuition there's the individual anaesthetist um, particularly anaesthetists in training or non-physician anaesthetists how um, where their experience and their skills lie um, and none of that is incorporated into a single score but it does guide a conversation um I think it it doesn't help the individual case. And um, what we found when we did this service evaluation of our trust was that actually there was quite a few cases that would have scored 15 the lowest on the complexity um, scale, but they were dotted throughout lists throughout the whole trust within that week. So um, I think we were probably on the scale of less than 5% uh, of lists would have been suitable for a, um, um, a trainee because there was one complex case within each list and that just precluded um, a trainee taking that as their solo list for the day. So there always had to be a consultant involved in that um, patient's care in that list. Um, so that's where that's where the the score would help if it was incorporated prior to the day of surgery. I think on the day of surgery, the anaesthetist is in the best position still to make those choices, um, and a score just guides a conversation between, um, say, the consultant anaesthetist and a more junior colleague. Yeah. Um, and in terms of um, where we go from here, what what does the group um, have planned uh, for the uh, for the future yeah so the the first steps or the two key first steps i think as uh ahmed uh, and katie have touched on is uh embedding it really so getting it as a as a 
fundamental part of a pre-op assessment and uh, electronic records make that straightforward to do. Um, so that'll be goal number one. Um, and then goal number two will be using that, we'll get a, a large amount of data through that to then uh, validate it in other populations. Um, so to look at certainly different hospital trusts within the country and then expand to an international population. Um, and then stretching on from that, really the sky's the limit. Um, we can start, as, as has already been discussed, looking at its impact on uh, service delivery, on um, training. We can start to um, compare it to, to other scoring systems. I mean, that, that that's, um, you know, would answer some of the questions about whether or not things are matched up already. We can start to have a look at that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, really, I suppose that the beauty of it is that this is a description of a tool and the way that any individual or institution wields that tool is really up to them. Uh, and if people um, out there in the wider world would like to uh, get in touch, um, then we're all keen and ready to collaborate to take this important thing forward. Excellent. Well, I certainly really enjoyed um, reading the paper, but also talking about it today um, with you guys, the paper's authors. Uh, so congratulations. It's a, it's a really excellent piece of work. Um, it's actually open access as well, so it's free for everyone to read uh, forever. It's currently on early view. It will be going into an issue uh, very soon. Um, and I would encourage everyone to go and read the paper and read the methods in full uh, in order to be able to set the um, results in, in context, but really, really important. And it wouldn't surprise me if um, we start using this or something like this routinely in, in the future. Uh, so thanks very much, everyone. Uh, and um, do make sure you join us um, next week as we'll be talking to a group about their research uh, on face masks and any use of face masks and, and airway complications, which is fascinating. Uh, but for now, thank you very much and goodbye. Thanks. Thank you. The Anesthesia Podcast. <laughs>